nothing. I feel very nervous not being able to see what they're typing up. Better not say gender. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're just typing secrets about you. <laughs> Ears are burning. Mm. Even though we're right here, yeah, we're right looking you in the eye, <laughs> <laughs> and still talking about you. Fizz, buzz, fizz, buzz. Hello, and welcome to Fizz Buzz Podcast, your favorite tech comedy podcast. And, and this is the season finale. What a great season two we've had. Um, but today is still a good episode because we have a great one planned for you where we're going to discuss all things CVs and interviews and who knows what else, but... But we are joined by two absolutely amazing guests, so if you could each introduce yourselves to the listener um, and just tell us who you are and what do you do. Uh, yeah, thanks very much. Uh, my name is Kevin Fagan and I'm an engineering manager currently planning my trade at Workday. Ooh, Workday. So you only work at night, is that correct? That's correct. Strictly nine to five. Everything else is out of bounds and yeah. Uh, and me, uh, so same. Thank you very much for having me on. Uh, my name is Gary Ludgate, and I am the head of talent acquisition for Forest Salon Software, which is where I know our two lovely hosts from. Whoop, whoop. Thank you so much for being here. We're so appreciative, and uh, the two of them—they're definitely uh, Fizz Buzz podcast regulars, listening all the time, giving us feedback. So we're very appreciative mm-hmm. for very everything. Yeah. yeah. So thank you guys for being on. Truly. Our pleasure. More than welcome. So, in the FizzBuzz tradition, <laughs> with our interviewee guests, um, we're going to ask you some rapid-fire questions. So, first one is, what's your favourite coffee? Kev? Oh, you keep looking at me. Um, <laughs> an Americano, I guess. Yeah, double shot Americano. Whereas I've always liked a mocha, which is slightly unusual. So it's, uh, I guess, somewhere between a latte and a cappuccino, probably closer to a latte. But the difference is rather than putting a spoonful of sugar in to make it sweeter, I put a shot of chocolate in it to make it sweeter. I think I discovered it at some takeaway coffee place 10 or 15 years ago, and it's been my go-to ever since. Um, Favorite color? Green. (laughs) Blue. (laughs) (laughs) So what does a normal Saturday look like for you? And for our listeners, today is Saturday now. <laughs> I'm going to look at Gary this time. He keeps looking at me. To yeah, no problem. We'll uh, take it in turn. <laughs> so no, normal Saturday for me, uh, try to set no alarm, which I look forward to. I then coach GAA uh, for my niece and nephew's team out in Kilbride County Mead. So that tends to be 9.30 till about 12.30 on a Saturday. And then if I can get away with it after that, I will go and play golf. Golf is my my vice, and I think that is my, my yin to works yang. I spend most of my working week at a laptop, uh, obviously given what I do. So the idea of getting outside for four or five hours and just disconnected from technology, just a uh, big part of my wellness, I think. So that would be my ideal Saturday. And then if I can get together for dinner with family or friends or good company, then yeah, I'll, I'll go to bed pretty happy with that. 
Nice. Uh, for me, I've two small boys, so a six and a ten-year-old. So my whole weekend just revolves around what they have planned. So Saturday morning at ten a.m. is to bring both of those two chaps swimming. They do that for an hour. We come home. Ever since COVID, I've kind of taken on the like job of chef in the house. Um, I'm not sure how that happened, but basically, I do most of the cooking. I think it just gets me away from the kids for a while. So I, I tend to just prepare lunches and, and dinners. And um, I'm a big football fan, so I'd probably chill out and watch a match or something if it's on, if it's one of the teams I, I like. A um, couple of beers in the evening and game of Scrabble or something. Yeah, that's me. So what's the last movie you saw? Oh, that's a really good question. Last movie. Can I, can I give you a different show that's not a movie? I've just watched a thing called Jury Duty, which is, if anyone's heard of it, it's essentially, um, I think it's by a couple of the producers of The Office, of you know, the American Office. Um, but the premise is there's a bunch of people brought in on jury duty and told we're going to film a documentary to see what it's like going behind the scenes of jury duty and see kind of what are the conversations that happen and what how do you kind of evaluate the evidence and things like that. The only caveat is every person on the jury is a an actor except for this one person who doesn't know is a completely oblivious to the fact that they're kind of the star of the show it's a bit <laughs> Truman show-esque but binged on that the last couple of weeks and highly re- recommend it really really good sounds hilarious it's very good and for me the last movie I saw was Oppenheimer uh, so I've definitely gotten out of the habit of going to the cinema uh, post lockdowns. It's something I do enjoy. Would like to to get back into it. Um, but Oppenheimer, I had it recommended by a few people, and it's Killian Murphy, uh, who's a Irish actor who I quite enjoy. And uh, three hours long, but in my opinion, worth the investment. It's uh, it's a really good movie. Okay, so the last song that you listened to. I'm blanking. Uh, when in doubt. I tend to default to most things hip-hop. It would have been yesterday on the way home, yeah. It would have been some random 90s hip-hop R&B mix, but I'm going to struggle to put a name on it. Uh, some Eminem, maybe. Perhaps. I, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I think that... Skilo? I do try <laughs> to cent? keep quite uh, diverse uh, listening when it comes to, to music, but I do find that with the advent of Spotify and with the advent of Deezer, which is the equivalent I use... I'll know the songs, but I won't necessarily know. Like back in the day, I feel like it was CDs, and you you had the card of the CD, and you knew the artist's name, and you knew the song name. Um, but yeah, something in the genre of rap and hip hop, uh, without being able to put a name on the song. I'm nowhere near as trendy as Gary. Um, he's hipping and he's hopping, but uh, <laughs> my Simpsons reference there. But um, Van Morrison, I was listening to earlier on, uh, Chuplo Honey. It took me a while to remember that one, but I was, uh, I don't know how I came across it. It was on YouTube and uh, it's a great song. Yeah, really recommend it if you, Van Morrison's great. Well, that's over. Yeah, we've we that's learned enough. everything we could possibly <laughs> know about you. We're experts of Gary and Kev now. <laughs> and, but now we move on to everyone's favorite. Da 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 da. What's your favorite thing about Ireland? You want me, Kev? Oh, you answered the last one first, I guess. Uh, you, you kind of prepped me last night that this was coming, uh, and, and I really racked my brain for ages. Um, 
and I've kind of settled on, and this might be controversial, so I'm actually very interested in getting your both your takes on this, but the Irish cultural pastime of slagging, um, <laughs> which is kind of, I, I'm not sure how many listeners you have outside Ireland, but it's basically, it's a form of teasing, but, but far more pointed and maybe closer to a, like a roast than, than anything else, although it tends to last your whole life rather than just a, an hour. But it, it, it's basically a so- social sanctioned way of bullying. So um, t- yeah, it's slagging kind of like, I don't know if you've noticed this, like you, you both come from the States and I think everyone in America, at least I've come across is very much comfortable with like, um, you know, positive reinforcement and talking about their feelings and we're all very comfortable with like in their own skin. We don't do that over here at all in Ireland. Like we, we suppress absolutely everything and like heaven forbid you tell anyone like how you're actually feeling. So instead how we kind of, I guess, manage that is through slagging, which is kind of our own way of showing people affection, but, but still like trying to make it into a humorous activity as well. So I know, uh, people kind of maybe visiting Ireland for the first time might be taken aback by just what that looks like you know but it it definitely comes from a a place of affection and and things like that but uh i think once you once you kind of learn to understand it and the dynamics of it and like to be made fun of in in that way is kind of like a a way of saying like we accept you for who you are and like for you to kind of slag them back is kind of it, it kind of forms a bit of a friendship you know it's kind of like a way of saying we're friends now you know we're comfortable with just you know um slagging each other i guess so i i think kind of yeah that's not something that you see in every culture so it's something i think we do quite well here so long as you understand the the dynamics oh it's so good i see it as like free comedy (laughs) it is the best banter and i so desperately want to be a part of slagging but i am not quick enough like the humor the ideas the insults like the way things just stick like i heard about a guy who got called fingers in high like secondary school and he's been known as fingers ever since i don't know his real name but he got slagged and called fingers once and it stuck and i'm just like this is a whole atmosphere comedy that i it's so good I'm just too sensitive for it. <laughs> like someone starts slagging me and then you can see like I'm like tearing up a little bit and they're like, it's not a big deal. It's not a... And then I'm like, I gotcha. <laughs> it's, it's our way of just showing appreciation. It's like if you, you know, if you spend a couple of weeks crafting a pull request and you know, you, you've really worked hard and it's a complicated problem. And in every other society, someone might say, like, really well done. You've, you've done a really good job. I'm proud of you. You know, you should, you should be proud of yourself too. We'd never say that. Nobody <laughs> in Ireland would ever, they'd say, it's about time you took your finger out and got that to communicate that way. So that, that's kind of a weird little way of, of just, um, yeah, like we're working around, like, I think that, that way of people. But that get your finger out is coming from a place of affection, oh, positive totally. reinforcement. Absolutely, yeah. to- totally. But it, it, as someone who's new to that, I mean, you, you would immediately take offense. Um, it's a great answer. I Obviously, I, I partake in it. I don't know that I've ever heard it articulated quite that well, but it is definitely a big part of society here. And it is, uh, 
an inherent Irish trait for sure. Uh, and no more than Kev, obviously, long-time listener of the show, so was uh, preparing for this question and trying to come up with an answer. So I was bouncing back and forth between the people and the culture, and I think they're both quite easy answers, right? I think no more than in a workplace, I think the people are a big part of what makes up the culture. But when I really stopped and thought about it, I think one of the things I love about Ireland is how well-traveled the Irish are or how big an influence we've had globally like if you look at a, a map right or if you look at a globe we're this tiny little dot we, we, we barely register in fact if the globe is small enough we probably won't register but mm. you know if you go to most cities across north america or australia or asia you'll probably find an irish bar in all likelihood called pogue mahone because that's <laughs> the, the the running joke but uh i think that for such a small nation we do have kind of very rich history and a very rich culture but the fact that we've been able to to almost export that or take it to so many different corners of the earth from such a small plot of land i think is again there's an inherent irish irishness about it and i just i think it's a, a very cool feature so the the culture through the people which is really well traveled i think is uh, how i eventually managed to sum it up or come up with some sort of articulate answer I was in Italy uh, on holidays recently and we were checking out of our hotel and the lady was asking where we're flying back to and we told her Dublin mm. and she had no idea where that was. Oh, wow. We were so deeply offended. <laughs> <laughs> I was absolutely disgusted by it. Like, how could you not know where Dublin is? She had no clue. Yeah. Wow. I'm actually really surprised by that, especially in Europe because right. a lot yeah. of people come to Ireland for their holidays and practice they have English. an Irish friend yeah ha practice English all that stuff and as you said like you can't go to a new town or city without finding an Irish pub mm -hmm. you know so I am very surprised but you have every right to be offended <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I hope you slagged her but you couldn't because you didn't like her. That's that's the point. I yeah, no, and I'd already paid the bill as well. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's just a bit she does. And she yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Doesn't matter what you said, you yeah, were going to yeah. get Where's the same. London? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know that one. Just to take everyone down a peg. <laughs> um, but yeah, both really great answers. Thank you. So now we're going to get into the meat of the interview and we're going to start talking about, yeah, the meat and potatoes, mm. <laughs> a very Irish dinner. <laughs> um, but one thing I guess to preface with this is, uh, the, the theme of this season was sisterly advice. In this instance, it might be brotherly <laughs> advice, but we've been trying to give tips about growing in your career as a software engineer, starting learning how to code and, and those kinds of things. And this is, you take all of that together and then how do you get your, your tech job? You know, what do you have to do? What do you have to pre prepare for and that kind of thing? So uh, that's, that's what we're hoping to, to get out of today. Yeah, and Mo and I were not too long ago on that very same job market, you know, wandering around, wondering what's going on. <laughs> and so we felt that this was a very good topic to share with our listeners, just in case they're going through the same thing. 
Yeah, we were lost and confused. And, yeah. you know, most of the time still are. Yeah. But... <laughs> Just right now, my brain is completely blank. Who are you? Yeah. Is this my house? Yeah. No, it's mine. <laughs> <laughs> but you can stay here anytime oh, you great. want. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, on that note, question number one. What is the worst CV you've ever read and why? Was that a curveball? Uh, yeah. Is there anyone that not one I've prepped wrote? for? But uh, no, it, it's a good question. I think uh, I'm probably not going to be able to think of one specific example. I guess the one that still gets me to this day is when I get this beautifully eloquent cover letter telling me all about why the person wants to work for a company that's not the one that they've just applied for. Uh, so oh, no. someone has clearly made some sort of copy and paste mistake or has forgotten to make an edit to uh, a letter. I think, you know, I've, I've been doing technology recruitment now for 15 years. I, I think I've seen CVs of every different shape and size. I think when someone really hasn't put any effort in that it's very apparent, like I've gotten CVs that were half a page long and then questions afterwards as to why that person wasn't shortlisted against the other hundred CVs that, that have come in. Um, so yeah, I think without being able to pick out one specifically, something that has the absolute minimum detail, something where you can clearly see someone has followed the guidelines online about what needs to be included and included nothing else whatsoever. And then yeah, the, the probably the one of the bigger bugbears for me is like I said, they, they address it to Workday will use as an example, just because Kev is here beside me when they're <laughs> clearly applying for a, another company altogether. I think one of the things that, that definitely comes through, and as someone again who assesses CVs for a living, but when somebody clearly wants this job rather than wanting a job, it really does come through both in how they submit and how you interview and how they engage throughout that process. So I think for me, the one that is so clearly tailored to the job that you're advertising and the role that it is that they want to get you know i can't tell you that there's any secret sauce to to capturing that but i can guarantee to you that if you have copied and pasted the same cover letter to half a dozen places the recruiter or the the person if they've been doing the job for any length of time at all that'll come across uh yeah uh the cv itself just take the time to to put your uh, bit of personality into it uh, i think that's i guess uh, another feature but one that's copied and pasted from the internet will be very <laughs> obvious you know if i'm advertising for a software engineer i don't want a cv that tells me what a software engineer does i want a cv that tells me what you do what your contributions are what your projects you've worked on so uh, i guess to summarize tailor it as best you can to the role you're applying for because if you don't it will come through to the person reading it yeah, ChatGPT can't just, yeah. <laughs> you know, spew out a CV for you and, and you submit it. It should be personalized. Although I've no doubt I've read some from ChatGPT. <laughs> oh, definitely. Said, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, similar answer to Gary. I mean, the obvious stuff, like, well, one thing that, it's, it's a, again, I can't point to any one specific example, but there's been a host of CVs where, again, like, the simple stuff like just even including a cover letter like going to the trouble of writing a small paragraph or two outlining like why you want the job at that particular company mm -hmm. or why you're drawn to that role is a really obvious one like i mean that immediately raises you above 90 percent of people if, if you've a kind of 
a, a decently crafted cover letter. Um, there was a weird trend, I don't know if it's still the case, I haven't seen it lately, but there's a weird trend a few years ago where people used to like rank their skills on their CV. So they'd say, JavaScript, I'm an A, and Ruby, <laughs> I'm an A, and then Python, I'm a C, but then databases, I'm an A. And I, I understand what you're trying to do. You're, you, you know, you're obviously trying to convey like how good you are at all these skills, but all I can see is that C for Python. And even though the role probably requires zero Python, all I can fixate on is that <laughs> you put on your CV ranking yourself for Python skills. And that just, I just could never understand how that became a trend and, and caught on. And may, maybe people are now seeing that. That's no, not it's it. still a thing. Is it still yeah, a thing? Yeah. It's so bizarre. Um, and then the obvious stuff, like obviously spelling and grammar mistakes. In the, in the age of chat GPT, you have no excuse to submit a CV with spelling and grammar mistakes. I'm willing to give it a pass, I guess, if English isn't your first language, but you know, it, it's kind of, you got to really work hard then to w win back my confidence after that. Um, also, again, just a, a, like a, a, a menu list of the technology you've worked with without telling me what you've actually done with that technology, that, that's another bugbear. Like you built, you know, you, you know, JavaScript, well, tell me what you've done with JavaScript. Tell me what problems you solved or what outcomes you achieved with JavaScript. Don't just tell me, you know, JavaScript, like that does not help me at all in any way, shape or form. So I think CVs with, you know, with those kind of red flags would, would be top of mind for me. Very good. Yeah. Cause I would say, I see a lot of when looking at, um, CVs, it, it is just the list or the list of qualities that they have as well, but no explanation to why or yeah. how they utilize any of these things. So would you expect like certain projects and how they use the technologies or maybe, um, maybe small problems that they solved or something like that? Yeah. I mean, ideally if, if somebody's writing a CV and again, if you're, if you're a grad, you probably don't have a, a massive, corpus of you know material i guess to, to call upon but like just just tell me how you use the technology what was the what was the problem you were solving with that technology if you're coming from another role how did it tie back to you know some business outcome if at all possible it's not it's not always the case but i mean you know you, you can 90 percent of the time try and kind of tie it back to some outcome the business was after maybe it's um you know, I, I made the rendering performance 20 times better, which resulted in, you know, a 50% increase in kind of conversions for this particular page or, or something like that. I mean, that's far more interesting to me than, you know, I, I mastered React and, you know, I, I can, I'm not too sure, like, um, but yeah, just, just that you, you mastered that, that particular framework, but, but didn't actually apply it in any interesting way. I mean, I find a, with a lot of programming, like learning the tool is almost the easy part. Everyone gets there eventually, but it's just how you apply what you've learned to actual business problems. That's the interesting thing I think a hiring manager wants to see, because that's the bit that they're hiring you for, right? They're not hiring you to teach you more React. They're hiring you to, to use that to solve the business problems. So that's, that's kind of, that's how I view things anyway. 
Yeah, no, I think Kev makes a, a really good point where I think less so lately maybe, but that there was certainly a tendency with CVs to list any technology that you'd ever touched, whether that was in university or in a professional setting. But I think if you're going to list a technology, especially in a list of skills at the top of a CV, you need to be prepared to be asked about that technology in the interview. And, you know, not what is it, but maybe some follow-up questions and display some not working knowledge of it. So rather than a list of 10 technologies that you've touched on at any stage in your career, list the two or three that you think you're strongest on and where you've used them. Like it doesn't necessarily need to be pros and pros, but if you can speak to, again, to Kev's point, a business outcome or a professional environment where you've worked as part of a team in implementing a solution with this technology, that's going to be infinitely more interesting than the fact that a lecturer mentioned Ruby once and therefore you felt you were able to put it on your CV. So I think trying to, rather than give this really broad picture of everything that you could do, try and display the strengths of the two or three things that you not can do, but have done and can speak knowledgeably about your, you know, demonstrable experience about it. And that can be a college project to, you know, to take it back to the grad discussion. It doesn't necessarily need to be in a professional environment, but just to be able to display that you, you've learned this technology and you've had to think about it or had enough thought provoked that you've come up with a solution in it. That's going to come through, I think, a lot of the time in a phone screen or in an interview, way more powerful than, like I said, I've, I've touched on X however many years ago. Um, I think being able to display, uh, and let's face it, right, a CV is a document in front, in order to try and get you in front of someone, in order to be able to, to have that discussion. So if you can speak to what you know deeply, rather than all you've touched broadly, I think you have a far better chance of getting in that room and having that conversation with a Kev or an engineering manager or whoever the interviewer is. So on that note, what happens behind the curtain? So let's say I've submitted my hardware spell checked <laughs> CV to you guys. What's the process that happens once that lands on your desk? I guess we're going to have different perspectives here, right? So my part is going to be a lot earlier in that, that assessment process. So um, you know, one thing I will speak to uh, a lot to, to anyone who will listen is that if a company's put the time and effort and thought into the job description or the ad that you read on whatever the jobs board, that'll come through too, right? That there has been a tendency in industry to copy and paste the one that was written five years ago because that was successful and that's what led you to the, the most recent hire. But if you've really put the time and effort into that job description to speak to whether it's a part of the stack or a part of your experience that's going to be particularly relevant, that makes the initial screening process, which is a lot of what I would be involved in, infinitely easier. Because there are certainly you know, teams, and this is no slight on anyone because everyone's busy, but people can try and nearly interview the detail into the job description or through interviewing, trying and identify what it is that they're really looking for. If you've done that work ahead of time, then my part is, so it'll arrive in, for most companies that are you know, that bit bigger or certainly beyond startup stage, it'll come into some form of applicant tracking system as opposed to an Excel spreadsheet or an email inbox where 
you know, it, it is easy for stuff to fall through the cracks. And that's where you do hear the stories of applications disappearing into black holes. And unfortunately, some people not hearing back. But if you've got an ATS, that they'll typically be presented in a way where, you know, you, you can score them. One of the things that I'm a big advocate of, uh, and I've really tried to introduce at Forest is getting the team to have that initial review of the CV as well. So that can be as simple as a, a rating system or a scoring system, which will be aggregated based on who's given you that feedback. But, you know, I think I can speak to what's going on in most projects from kind of 20,000 feet or 50,000 feet, but I don't live in that world. I, I'm not the person down on the ground, whereas the people in the team are. So they're going to be able to maybe identify whether it's a line on a CV or something written between the lines on a CV that's going to make this person more suitable than the other X amount of people who've, who've applied. But we would really try, and like I said, we set our criteria. Uh, when CVs do come in then, well, we are quite fortunate that we get quite good ad response. You know, we would have a, a good reputation, certainly in the Dublin market. And I feel like that's growing out across Europe uh, as well. So by having that criteria set, we'll shortlist the initial set of applications down to, it might be 10% or 15%, depending on the quality of the applications. Uh, we'll do our best to speak to all of those people. Uh, I have typically been the first interview, certainly for the product and development teams at Forest, and that's really a conversation. I don't go on with an agenda. I don't go on with a form that I'm looking to get filled out. Of course, I have a few checkboxes that I need to, to make sure are complete, but uh, you know, by having that conversation with people, identifying the people who seem interested in this role, as I've, I spoke to before, rather than another role, uh, and at that stage, then it'll go to the hiring team. Uh, so there'll be some sort of functional, tactical, can you do what is needed for the job and the stuff that it says on your CV. Uh, and then the last step in nearly every process, certainly a forest, is going to be a chat with someone from the leadership team. So that might be the CTO, that might be a director, that might be a senior manager. But that final call will also have less of an agenda. So I guess the... <laughs> behind the curtain or certainly the way we try and do it. We try and do a very warm and a very kind of information gathering session at the start. We then do the full on assessment and that likely will involve a tech test and will involve some investment of the candidate's time. But then we try and bookmark it at the end to be another quite conversational chat where you're hearing from, you know, the, the person who's looking two years down the line or five years down the line or what the future of this role is going to look like. And then that's also giving that person an opportunity to try and identify the things in that candidate that will allow them to best set them up for success when, when they do join the team. So it's, you know, that there's probably three or four clear gates. Um, we do stick to it. Uh, I can't speak obviously for other environments, but I think at the most basic level, that's probably the formula that throughout my career I've tried to apply and where I think we've, we've had good success from. Cool. Um, yeah, I guess I, I probably come into that um, that phase a little bit later. Obviously, yeah. there, there, there's that initial kind of conversation with, with the recruitment. Like, as a hiring manager, you, you would obviously have a, an initial conversation with, with the recruitment partner to, to outline the role you're looking for. What's the budget for the role? Um, what are the skills you're, you're looking for to tailor a, a job spec and that sort of thing? And then I guess um, you kind of trust that there's a certain element of, of filtering going to happen. So the, the um, recruitment coordinator will probably, you know, send you a bunch of CVs for, for review. And I typically kind of 
again, I'd, I'd, I'd scan through them. I'd, I'd look for all those red flags that we mentioned <laughs> earlier on. Um, and I'd identify, you know, a handful of CVs that I, I might want to screen the person um, off the back of. And so then uh, a recruitment partner would typically kind of call those people up and make sure that, you know, they, they match all the criteria. So for example, uh, workday, one of the criteria might be, we're, we have an expectation to be in the office 50% of the time. So are, is, are the people who are applying comfortable with that? Um, have they, you know, are, are we within their, their expectations from a, a budget point of view? Um, and then I, I would typically kind of get involved then once that person kind of passes through that filter where I would, I would screen them. I would do a, a 45 minute phone screen which would typically involve a, a very high level conversation um, just just with the person, ju just to gauge like interest, gauge some technical expertise, check for a team fit, check that they, you know, their, their work history is, I guess, um, aligns to what they've said on, on their CV um, and gauge their motivation and, and all that kind of stuff. So, um, and then at that point, if, 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 I'm happy my role then tends to be just um, move them on to the next step, which would involve, you know, several other interviews with, with various different people on the team. So, um, yeah, I, I guess kind of somewhere just, just after what Gary mentioned, that, that's where I'd come in. That's a lot of interviews, several <laughs> other interviews after that initial one as well. And I, I know Forrest also has a, a few other interviews. So I suppose when would you know to a call it quits on an interview like you know this this candidate's just not the right fit for the role and then maybe even after the interview in within that process how how do you kind of determine that um i guess for me like I, I can certainly speak for the that initial phone screen so i mean that is kind of the first I guess instance where you you get to make a judgment on somebody so typically for me like a phone screen i'm i'm essentially trying to build up a rapport with that person early on just to see like are they a good cultural fit with the team so i've kind of a list of like questions or like, like a script i typically follow when i'm i'm interviewing someone at that stage so what i'm really kind of looking for i guess is um Things like um, their motivation, like why are you, what, what attracted you to the role? What, what do you know about the company? Um, they can fire up some immediate red flags, right? If somebody can't tell you what the company does oh, and you no. would be surprised how many people apply Absolutely. for a role and do not and cannot tell you beyond the surface what that company do. Well, of course um, you work during the day. <laughs> <laughs> That's the kind of job I like. It's a, yeah. <laughs> send me money don't you like it's, it's <laughs> honestly it's it's it still surprises me how little research people tend to do so the motivation thing again like what what attracted you to the role like did you actually read the job spec and can you point to something tangible on the job spec that you liked that that attracted you again surprises me still to this day and plenty of people just blindly just apply for for roles everywhere without actually taking the trouble to understand why they want the role. Um, and then you'd obviously get into things like um, like their technical expertise, like can they do what they said they, they can do? And, and again, as a hiring manager, your role isn't really to delve that deeply into things. But what I tend to try and do is 
trying to understand, I guess, like, do, do they have a good understanding of not, not of the technology, not without giving them a whiteboard session, but if they tell me they've worked on React before and say something like Ember.js, I'd, I'd, I'd take the opportunity to ask, well, can you compare and contrast those two frameworks for me? What was the, what are the things you like about Ember that you wish you could see in React or, or vice versa? And that kind of tells me how, how much they genuinely do kind of know uh, about that particular technology. Um, and again, then you're looking for a cultural fit and, and a team fit. So you might be asking questions about um, their, their current working process. You know, do they follow Scrum and Agile? And most people do these days, but I, I like to kind of ask people, well, you know, what, what's the one thing you would change on your own team? Or what's the one process you could kind of do without? And that, I think that tells you a little bit more about their attitude towards the, the team and, and how they do things. And, um, you know, again, that, that can that can raise some flags as well. If, if people are immediately like shitting over their own team, you know, <laughs> um, or if they're, they're coming at you with a disgruntled story about how some colleague has rubbed them up the wrong way. I mean, that, that, that's red flags all over the place. Um, and then finally, like, I guess, you know, I, I kind of, at the end, I, I tend to ask very fluffy type stuff just to kind of, I guess, just get them thinking about their career and um, where they kind of want want to go. It, you know, like so even just asking, um, what's uh, like what projects are you most most proud of and uh, that that sort of thing. I mean, it sounds a bit fluffy, but if they can, if they can really show a genuine passion. Then at that point, like if it's if it's something that they 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 genuinely want to show off, like it gives them an opportunity to show themselves off in, in their best light. And if they come back and tell you can't think of anything i mean that again is a is a bit of a flag to me so like there's there's plenty of checkpoints along the way at that phone screening that where, where you you can you can kind of immediately just just in your head say no that 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 person's not gonna succeed here so um yeah i think that that's the best opportunity for me when it comes to the technical exercise it's far more uh, it's far more binary, you know, you either know your stuff to, to the level we require or you don't. Um, but, but yeah, the screening is a, a great opportunity just to kind of put them through that filter. Yeah, no, and very similar in approach with, uh, with a lot of it. Like I, I understand that, you know, interviewing is an intimidating forum. Uh, it is one that most people are not going to look forward to and are going to have some form of nerve. So, you know, uh, I tend to start with a, a very easy question that most people will be the expert on because we're very fortunate, both at Forest and other places I've worked at, I guess, but we get applications from every different corner of the earth. It's truly diverse, the, the age ranges, it, the ethnicity, everything that's coming to us. So I tend to open with asking someone how to pronounce their first name which they are the subject matter expert on. And you can nearly see the shoulders relaxing, right? You can nearly see, okay, I know the answer to that one. I'm happy to, <laughs> to move on to, to the next one. Uh, but with my screen, you know, unless someone clearly just hasn't prepared, like, you know, you're looking to reinforce the hints that you got from the resume or from the CV as to why you're speaking to this person in the first place. Um, but if someone can't tell me what the company does, or can't tell me beyond the first line or just doesn't have any real clear motivation beyond purely financial then 
you know that's not reason to to not move forward but it's certainly to Kev's point Ian, they're going to have to work hard to win me back after that because I think the other perspective that sometimes get lost is you know people make interviewing and applying for a job quite individual which is very natural because it's them who is looking to get this job what they don't realize is that after that phone screen I probably have another five or six phone screens with people who are equally qualified who are equally motivated so it's not necessarily a, a, as binary as in if you don't pass phone screen X you will not move forward to the next stage sometimes you're having to make really difficult decisions based on really small nuanced things as to why one person might be a marginally better fit um, so you know I don't think at the phone screen stage like I said unless someone's completely unprepared or tells you about why they're interested in your company when they're clearly thinking that they're interviewing for someone else like it's that spray and pray approach to recruitment that I know can yield results with enough volume but that really does come through when you're the other person on the, the other end of that call uh, and then to Kev's point once they've come through that screen and we've identified that you know culturally and technically and even from a company profile point of view, this is something that, that's gonna suit and our expectations meet theirs and vice versa. That's when they do go into the tech round, which it is quite binary, right? Like you said, it, it can be very much a go or no go gate as in does this person know this, but I'd also apply what I've just said to that. It can be a case that three or four people do tech tests, you've won a role. It's nearly irresponsible to ask all four people to invest too much time. So you're having to find these little edge cases or these little nuances as to why one person is more suitable than the other so it's you know i don't think it is you know the way the question was framed is nearly you know is there a gate you can trip over but it, you have to realize that it's not you who's just chasing that end goal it's not just you who wants the true north of that role being theirs you're probably competing with a, a few other people and it can be difficult as a hiring manager or someone influencing hiring uh, to make a phone call to someone who has put their best foot forward, has made their best effort, and they have been pipped at the post. But uh, I think the trick there is obviously doing it in a way that is human, trying to give them as much of the detail feedback uh, as you can. Uh, and something I think we're quite good at uh, at Forest is keeping the lines of communication open because one failed application to a company doesn't mean that there won't be another role in the future that will be more suitable or that some version of you in the future might not be suitable for the one that you, you've not gotten this time. So it's, you know, it, it is uh, it is one where you have to remember that the person at the other end of the call has ambitions and dreams and, you know, that this is what they've worked towards. Um, but like I said, it, it's very rarely in my experience that someone just completely hits enough of a red flag that you're having to make a call on. It's quite often a competitive process that means that they've, they've just been picked by somebody. Do you like our sound? Because support for FizzBuzz podcast is provided by Cloud Microphones from Tucson, Arizona. Cloud Microphones is a maker of boutique ribbon microphones and the Cloud Lifter line of mic activators. Cloud lifters are used around the world for recording, broadcasting, and other live sound applications. For more information or to hear cloud products in action, check out cloudmicrophones.com. And one thing you both uh, had said in your responses was 
preparation and people not always prepping. So what would you say, how would you suggest that the, the candidates prep for the interviews? And, and I suppose, what do they prep for? Yeah, like what if right now you were going to go into an interview to your respective companies? So, Kev, if you were walking in the door today for a workday interview and Gary, a forest interview, how would you prepare for that? With any company, I think the first thing is learn the mission. Uh, it maybe sounds like a, an easy answer, but to, to use Forrest as an example, right? So, Forrest has been around for, for 20 years. Uh, it was set up by somebody who very much wants to partner with and grow with and be the de facto platform for an industry. Uh, a big part uh, of you know, the, the focus on a daily basis is trying to make the lives of those in the salon and running the salon easier. Like that's a mission that will speak to, to some people. Whereas there are going to be other people who maybe you know, the, the industry is too niche or you will have someone who will go after the, the brand name or the, you know, the, the app that's on your phone is going to be the profile of company that they're, they're looking to work for. Uh, even the, down to the number of employees that are there, right? So Forrest is just top 300 uh, people globally, but that's a drop in the ocean to, to some companies, right? Where you've got 30,000 and 300,000. And um, I think, yeah, understanding the company, understanding their mission, understanding the people and the team. You know, we're at a day and age now where with the likes of LinkedIn and Glassdoor and some of the other sites that are available, you don't have to dig that hard just to display the fact that this is something you're interested in. This is something that, you know, you've researched and aligns with your values. And I feel like even in a post lockdown world, this has become even more important because pre lockdown, and, and again, this isn't a grand sweeping statement, but as a general rule, people's main motivation was the almighty dollar, that they were ultimately there to get paid. And I understand we're all adults and that's important, but in a post lockdown world where people have gotten used to working from home and having some flexibility and having more work-life balance and being able to bring the kids to school, for example, like, I'm not going to say it's going to trump money, but it's certainly something that's hugely important now that maybe wasn't as much of a focus beforehand. So, you know, by doing the prep, understanding the company's positions on the things that are going to be important to you, and then going onto the call and being able to display why that's important to you, I think is, uh, if you can do that, like Kevin mentioned, you're nearly already ahead of 90% of, of the people that are there. But I, you know, I, I, do ultimately speak to people about the forest story for a living. So I feel like I should be reasonably well prepared for anything you could throw at me. Uh, forest uh, value. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be surprised if you didn't get the job, Gary. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if he's a good fit, Stace. <laughs> I've got a few red flags Just already. Is yeah. that a spelling mistake? Yeah. Yeah. Is that a typo? <laughs> Um, I'd echo a lot of what Gary says. I mean, obviously, it, 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 it doesn't take a lot of effort to research a company. And it's not always immediately apparent how the team you're potentially going into in that company fits into the, the, the bigger goal or mission. But there's other things you can do. Like some things I've used successfully in the past is um, 
find people who have recently left that company you can do a search on linkedin and find a few people who have exited that company fairly recently within the last 18 months or so i mean i don't think there's anything wrong with reaching out to them and having a conversation just to understand is this actually a role i'm, I'm genuinely gonna thrive in and, and getting their feedback um about the company and, and the role itself uh the other thing i've i've used successfully in the past is um go find forums like this like uh, most companies now have a lot of people uh who work there as guests on podcasts or maybe they're producing their own podcast go listen to some of the conversations Great that they've point. had yeah. in the past and honestly it, it's it, it's a massive leg up if you can go into your first screening interview and echo back some of that information say oh well i was listening to the fizzbuzz podcast <laughs> jd when and, and you mentioned this thing which really resonated with me um and no hiring manager in the world will, will listen to that and not be impressed and so i mean i did just again it's it's probably it's gonna take a little bit of time there's a bit of like sleuthing involved in in some of that stuff and like find who's working there go on linkedin go on twitter like it's not difficult to find people and understand what they're saying about the role and, and the company uh, and again it's like if they're doing open source go, go dive through some of the commits they've made or, or understand kind of what the sentiment is out there from the uh, community around them and um, so yeah that and uh, mostly what, what gary said too <laughs> <laughs> ditto <laughs> <laughs> And then as well, what about the tech perspective? You, you mentioned going in and looking at uh, commits and open source and stuff, but prepping for the technical side, would there be any suggestions there? Um, you mean like it, the tech test itself? The test or a whiteboard interview yeah, or anything yeah. like that? Oh yeah, What's, when does a whiteboard interview go right yeah. and when does it go wrong? So, so one of my tips and and this this may not uh this might be very controversial i guess is um I, if and again I, I don't tend to apply for many tech roles anymore but i got great satisfaction from searching github for forest tech test to see what other people had submitted and to get an, a read on what was the tech test and um, before anyone actually presents it to you uh, and then you get to kind of see what their answer was and like un like research it a little bit. Um, however, that's only going to get you so far. I mean, most people who are competent in, in a particular programming language will be able to submit a fairly decent tech test. I think what sets the the really the people who will ultimately be successful apart from those who might get close enough is um, it's just how they present that tech test. So um, it's not just about submitting the, the repository and uploading it to HackerRank and then you're, you're done. It's, I think, taking the time to craft some documentation and trying to communicate your reasoning for taking the approach you did in the tech exercise. Um, I'll probably embarrass you both here because I did go back. Did you? <laughs> 
and I did look up both your because uh, you still have them on your public GitHub profiles. Both you can your go look it up. <laughs> tech tech submissions, and what I can say, and I particularly remember Mo's because Stacey, you you um you and I didn't overlap at all, but but Mo like I, I was somewhat involved in in your hire, and um and it's I don't think it'll offend you to say your tech exercise was fine it was okay <laughs> it was no it, like it, it, it worked and the code was perfectly presentable but there were you know 10 other candidates who had the same code as you but what really made you stand out above all others was my css you, you <laughs> and this is before chat gpt i mean you wrote a, a beautifully elegant readme that went through your reasoning for the approach you took where you hit hurdles, where you tripped up, what you learned, what you really enjoyed about the exercise um, in doing the, the tech test itself. And, and what that really showed was that one, you, you could communicate incredibly well. Uh, I even remember you signed off the, the, the readme with like, let's grow, which is like forest, oh, forest tagline, which, is forest tagline <laughs> which obviously showed, you know, to speak to the previous question shows you've done your research on, on the company. And I know Stacy, yours was very much in, in the same vein as Mo's, but like, cause again, when you're, when you're someone who's on the other side of the table and you're reviewing a tech exercise, you're having to put yourself, you know, you're trying to kind of, I guess, do your best to put yourself in that person's shoes and you're fabricating your own thoughts um, about what they intended when they were writing this code. What was their reasoning when writing that code? And with yours, we didn't have to. We immediately saw like in black and white, you, you outlined everything as you were thinking. And um, and that was incredible. Like that, that was honestly put you head and shoulders a, 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 above everybody else. <laughs> Um, and again, I think I even remember, I think you both did this, you, you submitted your solution to um, maybe Heroku or maybe it was like XJS or something like that, or I'm not sure what it's called these days, Netlify or something. But again, that, that just allowed anyone reviewing your tech exercise to immediately click a link and see the working copy of your code. And again, not making the, the interviewer work is a massive bonus. Like it, tech you know people working in tech are inherently lazy you know? yeah, <laughs> you know, it's true. we we don't like having to kind of go out of our way to kind of pull down a github repository and open up an editor i mean if we can just immediately click a link and see your code running in production um that's phenomenal like that that immediately shows us you even understand how to get your code from editor to production and, and it says a lot so um i'd say if if yeah if you're out there and you're you know you are at that tech exercise stage preparation you know obviously understand the problem understand what the problem is you're solving um and do your best to to solve it in in whatever way you know how but over communicate what you are thinking at that time write some documentation don't just let the code speak for itself really try and convey what you were what you were thinking at the time and that's just going to help immensely for anyone reviewing it's a really, really good answer. It's, and even some of the points we've touched on from previous questions, to hear them come on, coming up as part of the answer is, is interesting. But um, I think, again, that point you make, Kev, has come up more and more recently where you know we will have a volume of applications, we'll have a volume of tech tests, but 
it is the one who's taken the time to document. It's the one who's taken the time to write the readme. And again, I think it's all in this vein of, I want this job rather than I want to do the bare minimum that's been asked for me so I can tick the box that this tech test is done and then move on to the next one that, that maybe you're applying for. But the preparation piece too, like I do feel like tech assessment and tech interviewing has changed quite a lot, even in the, the 15 years that I've been doing this, like at the start, there was nearly the expectation that you'd remember everything that was in the textbook in college. It was nearly borderline unfair. You know, you were being asked these really quite detailed questions that in reality, maybe you either didn't need or didn't apply on a daily basis in a professional environment, or if you did, you Googled it. And, and that's just the way it worked, right? Whereas Googling and having any access to any reference material for a long time in interviews was just not allowed. It wasn't permitted. But that's not the reality, right? That's not the reality of a, a day in the life and the job. So I think that attitudes to that have definitely softened. And now it is more likely to be like a business as usual day where you are able to go and as part of your tech test, go and reference what whatever it is once obviously you, you mention it or, or you say that you, you are doing that reference. But again, if you go into an interview or a tech test, and there's a few different ways to administer them, right? We, we have a bit of a mixture of us where in some cases we'll put a candidate on with a couple of engineers and they will literally work through a problem or work through a whiteboard session together with an outcome at the end. And then other candidates will prefer the take home test. And we try and give people that flexibility because it depends on your personal life and so on and so forth, uh, et cetera. But if you go on to that, and you've only spoken to technologies that you're, you're comfortable in and that you've experienced in and you're not having to learn on the fly or Google on the fly just to get the basics, like that will come through in any tech test as well. So, you know, do your preparation, try to stick to your areas of strength or the things that you have displayed as why you're suitable for this job and why you think that you are the right person versus the other people who are applying. And if you do meet a more progressive organization, you probably won't need to go and remember whatever the algorithm was or whatever it was that's How needed. How to reverse the binary. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> oh no, flashbacks. Or reverse the string or reverse anything. Yeah. No reversing. Such <laughs> <laughs> a car. Linked list lately. Be confident in what you know and don't try and put your hand up for things that you don't know. And the tech test shouldn't be any huge overbearing event. It's, uh, I do think companies, as a general rule, are trying to move closer to what's practical and what's real rather than go remember something that you learned 10 years ago. And I find, like, I sometimes find the interesting part of someone's tech exercise submission is is the bits that they haven't done you know because yeah. if you if you tell somebody time box like if they're doing a take-home tech exercise you can tell them like time box this to, to three hours and do not spend any more than three hours on this submission we don't want to see perfect what's more interesting to us is potentially where you made your trade-offs in that three hours Absolutely. like did you did you forgo tests just so you could maybe improve the UI a little bit? Or did you use, you know, some library just because it could, you know, um, help you churn out the code a little bit quicker? Um, just the, that those kind of, those decisions are far more interesting to uh, someone reviewing your code than how perfect can you make mm -hmm. this solution also I, th I think it kind of shows a bit more empathy towards somebody because they're not spending 
15 hours Absolutely. when you've asked them to spend three um, because everyone can get the code perfect these days but it's where you make those trade-offs and where you make those decisions about what not to do kind of I suppose tell a lot more than, than your submission sometimes I spent way more than 15 hours <laughs> on my tech test I literally bailed on studying for an exam that weekend still passed thankfully for else I probably wouldn't be here but probably by like the skin on my teeth or whatever it was worth it don't do that <laughs> so I'm not the person giving advice here. Yeah. <laughs> oh, thankfully, it's a happily ever after story. But we will never encourage people to not study for an exam in order to submit a tech test. That exactly. Probably. But what if the tech test was more fun <laughs> than study for an exam? You know. And that's for why we're being interviewed, and you guys. Are not yeah. all <laughs> so we're we're the learners in this situation. <laughs> Coding can be relaxing. <laughs> um, so yeah, okay. So I guess we've kind of fleshed out the interview process and all that. So what is the magic moment that you realize this is the candidate? I want to make this candidate the offer. How do you know it's the one? We, I can kind of maybe start. So we, we hired somebody recently into the team and, and they, they did a very good screening, but I'm, I'm kind of like the first step really in, in that process a lot of the time. Um, it's when as a hiring manager, I then get to read the feedback of the rest of the team. So where, what the way we do things at the moment where we are on workday is uh, you have a, a screening call with the hiring manager and then you'll have a take home tech exercise and then you'll be invited back to go through your solution and kind of uh, communicate, you know, your, your reasoning behind the, the, the code you wrote. Um, and then there's a whiteboard session. So where, and to be fair, it's, it's not too scary. It's like bring us a system that you want to describe and um, we'll kind of just, you know, uh, poke holes in or ask you questions about it so I mean if it's something you're bringing along you should be intimately familiar with that maybe it's an open source thing you worked on maybe it's something within your your role that you're currently in and then there's a, a chat with um, some other members of the team around like maybe a project manager or or a QA person just to understand how they fit within the dynamics of the team but you know me reading the feedback from from those other parts of the interview, I mean, that's where it, it really comes together for a candidate. So, I mean, like I said, we had someone recently and the, the feedback was, this is the first time I've run out of questions to ask a, a candidate um, a, a, on a technical exercise, which was like an immediate kind of, wow, that's great. Like we, if, we've, if they're that good and nobody has had to kind of, if they've run out of questions, I mean, you know, that, that's amazing. And then again, feedback from, from the product person or from the QA to say like, you know, they've, they, they nailed all the questions on quality or they nailed all the questions on communication. I mean, it's not until you get back all that feedback that you can really make a, a judgment. There isn't no, there isn't a one place in that process where you, you say, that's it. That, that's the moment where they clinch the role. It's only at the very end when everyone's feedback comes together. And, and the way, the way it's, it's done on workday at least is um, 
you're not allowed to communicate with one another ar around your feedback. So if Stacy and Mo are involved in a technical exercise with somebody, you go off into your own little corners and you submit your opinion on that exercise. You're not allowed to communicate. You're not allowed to bring any kind of bias in, into the equation. So um, if, if all the feedback is, is moving in the same direction, then that's a, you know, it's, it's, it's a green light at the end. Um, but if there's if there's maybe conflicting reports, then then that's something you got to dig into. But uh, it's it's at the very end. Yeah, what Kev describes there is a hiring process done right, in in my opinion. And obviously, I'm fairly invested in this at this stage, and it's something that I've done plenty of research and thought about a lot. It's um, I don't think there is any aha moment to to the question. It's you know the way Kev describes it with the different steps. And again, the approach at Forest is quite similar. We're very thorough in our assessment and we're very thorough in our interviewing. And we have had some feedback to say that our process is unduly long. And, <laughs> you know, I understand that person's perspective and I understand where they're coming from, but I think that's a very conscious decision from us as well. And it's not something I think we'll apologize for because our retention numbers are really, really high. So kind of going back to my point earlier about preparing the job description, if you've really prepared this, this role and this gap in the team and this set of skills that needs to be filled and you put someone through their paces, then by the end of it, if you know, they haven't self-selected out and everyone is still interested in each other and the signal from the different members of the team is all the same, that's as close to an aha moment, I think, as you get, or that's the moment where you go, you know, yes, this is the person who we think is is going to be a good fit for us. Like, there are times, you know, and I understand this, and thankfully it hasn't happened in Forest, but there's times where there's massive urgency to spin up a team or a new project comes across the, the company and all of a sudden you need to get a lot of people in in a very short space of time and there'll be a tendency there to skip some of the steps and maybe go straight to the tech test or... I don't think it happens that you do a cultural interview and skip the tech test, but you'll skip one or two of the steps that just mean that longer term you are increasing the risk or you're increasing the percentage chance that this is not going to end up happily ever after, right? And it's not going to be the right fit. Like, again, I still do enough interviews that, you know, uh, I would say two in every five, three in every five people that get to me and who are interviewing and who want to apply for a role, the reason is because they've been missold the role that they're in currently. And they've given it three months or six months or 12 months. But I think by investing the time at the start, you, like I said, you significantly increase the chance that this is something that's gonna work out well for, for all parties. Um, and by going through the different steps, you're maybe getting three or four or five diverse opinions from people who have different pressures on them and different reasons that, that this role needs to be hired and this headcount needs to be filled. And if all of their feedback to Kev's point is all pointing in one direction and everyone has that sense of, yeah, I, I'd be happy or excited to work with this person, you go ahead and try and get them in then at that stage. So, uh, yeah, no, I don't think there is the, the pure aha moment. It's when you get general consensus from a group of like-minded people who have an invested reason in this person being successful, all giving you the thumbs up. That's typically when we'd be moving forward to offer or trying to get that person into us. Nice. And another thing, I, th I think important thing you said there too, is with all those steps, there there's this communication back and forth where 
the interviewer is also interviewing the company and the people that they're talking Absolutely. about to make sure that the role in the company is right for them as well. So uh, with all those steps, it, it can be equally or, or you can mutually Absolutely. start the position and, and, and hire that person. Well, that person has a far more vivid idea of the team and the people and the mm -hmm. company. And uh, yeah, it just feels like everyone's making a decision with as many of the facts or as much of the information as they can possibly mm -hmm. have, which again, in theory, should lead to, uh, to more successful outcomes. As we know, um, tech is becoming slowly more diverse and, and more and more people from different backgrounds are applying for jobs and coming into computer science and that kind of thing. Do you have any advice for, for the people applying? from any background male female I otherwise say, i would say tell your story to be perfectly honest like companies are crying out for reasons to support diversity where they can and um, use that to your advantage tell your story help people understand what your background is and how you that background could potentially help the company and um, I think if you can, if you, like that's a compelling case in itself. So like a, a lot of people feel like potentially that, that might be a, a hindrance to them. Absolutely not. Like double down on that and, and use it as a, use that as a crutch. I think to echo that or certainly maybe even take it one step further. So if I was giving advice and there's research and there is data which will support this and we actually we call it out now as the very last paragraph uh, on all of our job descriptions but uh, the research would tell you or, or would suggest that for females in STEM or, or for any other marginalized group that if you're in that marginalized group and you feel like you're hitting maybe 50 or 60 percent of the criteria on the job description the majority of people will walk away. They'll self-select out then at that stage. Whereas if you're not from that marginalized group or if you are part of you know, the, the more stereotypical person that apply for that job, you'll put your hand up uh, and you'll apply and then work through the interview. And sure, the interview process might not be successful, but you'll at least put your hand up, right? You, you'll, you'll look for that opportunity. So my advice would be to anybody who feels like that they are in a you know, a diverse minority or, or that they're in a marginalized group, put your hand up, apply. You know, uh, the reality is it will be down to the volume of interviews or the capacity of the recruitment team as to whether or not that actually gets you speaking to someone or that gets you that interview. But I think when in doubt, believe in what you've learned, believe in what's on your CV, believe in where it is you want to get and, and put your hand. And I'm not telling people that it's going to work out the way they'd like every single time. But I can absolutely guarantee you that if you don't apply, you're not going to get the job. So put your hand True. up. My number one saying, I say this already, I've said it like 10 times yesterday. If you don't ask, the answer will always be no. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you gotta, you gotta do it. Assuming that the company is one that speaks to you and their mission and their culture. Because again, that will come through <laughs> yeah. too. But no, if sure. you really feel passionately about it, you know, Put your hand up, like I said, try and make the application, try and speak to someone because uh, to Kev's point, you know, uh, I think that it is something that companies are very aware of. We don't want the, the stereotype of the team Kev mentioned there to be uh, every software engineering team and, uh, you know, tell your story, double down on your story and see where that gets you.
was that Michael Scott quote? Who was it? You, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take? Or Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's <laughs> right. Yeah. I think somebody else said it. I think it was Michael Scott paraphrasing Wayne Gretzky or somebody. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much, you guys. You're yeah, thank you. And as we wrap up, is there anything else you'd like to say to, to our listeners to polish off the show for the, the season? Woohoo! Wow. No pressure, Kev, huh? No pressure. I'm trying to think. Um, I think for me or something, when I was coming to, to chat with you guys, you know, and we look for the nuances and the reasons that one CV stands out versus another. But I think if you're still in university, applying for internships, if you're a new grad, maybe you've done one role and you're looking for, for your next role, uh, I think that somebody who has an interest in technology and, you know, whether they code like Kev and their downtime just for a bit of fun, <laughs> or if you have made something cool with a Raspberry Pi, or if you've got something on your GitHub that maybe you don't think applies directly to the job, or if you just code for fun, I think that that is something, again, that can really come out, especially when you don't have that body of work or you don't have that body of experience to speak to yet. So if you're one of a hundred graduates applying for a grad program, if you've got something on the GitHub about something you did as part of one of your projects, or just you're displaying the fact that coding and technology and this whole crazy random space it is that, that we all work in is something that you, you feel drawn to. And it's not something you're gonna do from nine to five and then close your laptop. Uh, just try and get some evidence of that down because I think it's a trick that's all too often missed. I'll get this beautifully eloquent, eloquent excuse me, CV uh, about what someone's done in college. But when I actually got on the phone to them, I'll learn all this other stuff that may not be, you can't draw a direct line as to why it's relevant to the role. But again, it's just speaking to you as a person. It's speaking to your interests. It's speaking to how you are going to be outside the nine to five. So if you have projects, if you have worked on stuff, if you've got something that you feel is a personal project, but you're really proud of it, get that on the CV as well. I'd be fairly confident you're going to be asked about it in an interview. Yeah, that's an excellent point. And I guess expand on that a little bit more. I mean, yeah, like certainly if you're a grad like, and you have got some open source contributions, if you haven't got any direct experience to call upon, like getting involved in some open source exactly. is fantastic. Mm -hmm. um, if you can get to some networking events like i know where we are in dublin here has plenty there's the ember js meetups there's ruby ireland there's python javascript there's there's a meetup One for, for every, every flavor, right? yeah. get, get to those meetups and you might you know go, go chat to people who are in the industry make sure that they know who you are and mm -hmm. um, build your network up in, in that way go to ship it we were all at ship it yesterday so maybe a bit of a shout out to yeah, a lot of these conferences will will have student tickets and again we'll we'll kind of uh, make them available at, at a low price and i mean you could do a lot worse by by getting yourself a ticket or volunteering go along as a volunteer mm -hmm. get a free ticket um and then chat to people just just put your name out there because it's a far more compelling um, story when you're sat in front of a hiring manager and you tell them, oh, I saw you at ShipItCon or I, I saw you at the Ruby Ireland event last month. Uh, and I mean, that immediately kind of just sets off like 
bells in my head to say that this, this yeah. person has you know has put a bit of effort into building up their network and, and someone I, I really kind of want to get to know more so yeah if you can do that and, and everything Gary said there as well just about build, building up that kind of um that backlog of project work and, and anything you're proud of like just just like people like passion so yeah make that shine cool go get your job you can do it you got this we're cheering for you we believe in you just apply just apply yeah big till you make it no don't that's a whole other episode no be yourself and 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 show off all your great skills and yeah, all the other cool stuff we learned today. Yeah, gosh. too too much in one tagline. Yeah. <laughs> Hashtag. <laughs> so yeah, that's it. That's it. That's season two, baby. Season two. Woo. Thank you so much Wiggling, for having Wiggling. us. Yeah, yeah. Thanks fun. for coming on. It we so really much appreciate it. So uh, yeah. don't forget to follow our socials. Fizzbuzzpodcast at allthethings.com, Instagram, Gmail. And we never, ever got that other thing. What, what is it? TikTok. We never got a TikTok. Uh, we had promised we would if no someone emailed us. And no one emailed and us. And no one emailed so us. So, off hook. Yeah. Maybe next season. <laughs> maybe next. Maybe you could email us, and then next season we'll have a TikTok. It's not happening until someone emails us. That's yeah. how old school we are. <laughs> <laughs> We're waiting for a snail mail that'll never come. <laughs> But, yeah. Well, Kev, Gary, the utmost gratitude. Thank you so much. Absolutely, our pleasure. No, thank you, and keep going. The podcast is awesome. Uh, we're looking forward to season three already. Yeah, can't wait. You're doing a fantastic job. So yeah, really well done. Been a pleasure. So thanks for the invite. Thanks. You heard it here. Don't, Don't be a dick and make money. Make money.